right, let's uh, let's just praise the Lord for all the good things that He did in Australia. Come on, let's praise Him. Come on, praise the Lord. God is good, Amen. And God is so good. I mean, the things that we saw in Australia, it just was not possible by just man's strength alone. The types of transformations and healings. I mean, Pastor John's leg grew out. And it wasn't even a New Philly team member that prayed for him. It was one of the Australian pastors. We encouraged him to pray for healing. He commanded one of the legs to grow out. And it grew out. He, came, he got up and he tested it. And it was, uh, his hip pain was completely gone and his legs were even. And so he was able to experience that physical healing for his own body. And uh, also, we prayed for him in that video and, and anointed him with oil. And, and man, this guy, he's a pretty, um, he's a wonderful uh, pastor. Uh, but, you know, from what we knew of him, he was fairly laid back. Or at least he was for the times that I've seen him, the few times I've seen him. But man, after that night when we anointed him and, and, he, and he fell under the power of God, the next day he was leading prayer and it was like a completely different man. He was on fire. Like, we thought his blood veins were going to burst because it was just like throbbing and his head was all red because he was so on fire and so excited. So it was just like a, a dramatic change and transformation that you could see uh, just even overnight when the, when the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit falls on people. I mean, it really transforms them. And so it was just uh, so encouraging to see uh, the FLM ministry there. It's the English ministry of Sydney Full Gospel. Uh, just being uh, receiving a fresh fire from the Lord and also seeing them step out. You saw on the last night, I intentionally asked the New Philly team not to pray for anybody. And so New Philly team stood back and we asked everybody who received the fire the previous year to come forward. And they stood at the altar and then we asked the young people who wanted to receive uh, a touch of the Holy Spirit, a fire of the Holy Spirit to come forward. And they all lined up and then the Aussies, they just started praying for people. And in the beginning, we didn't really see that much. But as they kept on praying, you could see the girls, they're prophesying, releasing people in the gift of tongues, releasing fire, you know. Um, so it was such a encouraging thing to see because we don't want to go to these conferences, these churches, and have to teach the same thing over and over again and have to establish them in the same basics over and over again. We want them to go from glory to glory. And we want them to steward what they've already received. And so... Uh, we really try to empower them uh, throughout the conference. And they, the, the Aussie leaders there and, and the members, they really stepped up. And they started really praying for each other. So it was a powerful thing to see. And we want you here at Busan. All right? We don't want just the, the... I know the church plant team, they get loved and honored for having given up their jobs in Seoul and moved down here to Busan to plant this church. I know that they get loved and honored. But their goal is not for you to become dependent on them, but they want to empower you to do the things that you see them doing. They want to empower you to do the same things that Jesus did. Jesus promised this. He said, the things you have seen me do, you also will do. And what did we see Jesus do in the Gospels? He healed the sick. He opened the blinded eyes. He made the lame to walk. I know you saw the Indonesia video last week. Pastor Myungwan was here. Did you not see that video? There was a gentleman in Indonesia. He came into the service and he was blind. He was blind. And they prayed for him. And 95% of his sight was restored. And 
I don't know if she shared, he started touching his wife's face. And it was like just this intimate moment. They just started weeping. Can you imagine not being able to see the face of your spouse and then getting healed and then touching the face of your spouse? That's powerful right there. That's powerful. And that's, and that's what uh, God did in Indonesia. And that's what Jesus did in the Gospels. And Jesus is saying, the things you've seen me do, you also will do. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to be a Christian that simply operates in the natural? Or do you want to be a Christian that is marked by the supernatural of God? You know, because God is supernatural. Now, I respect the natural world. God created the natural world and then he called it good. So the natural world is good. But God is not boxed in by the natural world. He's the creator of the natural world. And when he does things outside of that natural world, because, you know, Satan, man, he does all kinds of things to try to steal, kill, and destroy. And so Jesus came that they may have life and life abundant. Jesus came to heal the sick. The Bible says in Acts 10.38 how Jesus went around anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit and he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. When Jesus left after he died and resurrected and ascended into heaven 2,000 years ago, his goal was not to say, okay, no one else who is oppressed of the devil is ever going to be healed from now on because I'm no longer on the earth. Now Jesus said, the things you've seen me do, you also will do. I healed all who are oppressed of the devil. Now I expect my people to heal all who are oppressed of the devil. I don't know what's going on upstairs right now, but this is where it's at right here, all right? So keep your attention here. All right. So today, um, I'm going to preach a message called The Myths of Speaking in Tongues. The myths of speaking in tongues. It's gonna talk, I'm going to teach on the gift of tongues, all right? Because there's a lot of misunderstanding in the body of Christ. And I want to try to bring a balanced teaching on the gift of tongues, all right? So everyone, everyone uh, turn to your neighbor, stick out your tongue and say, this is my tongue. All right. Tell this Now, let me ask you for a moment. If you got captured by some terrorist group, and some terrorist groups have done this in the past, and they took you, and they thought you were annoying, so they decided to cut out your tongue and send it to your family. Okay? That will jack you up. That will mess you up. You know why? Because immediately you will realize... That you can no longer talk. If you don't have your tongue, you can't talk. You could talk, but nobody will understand you. Your tongue is very important to you. The tongue is a very central physical body part. It's not your hands. It ain't your feet. It's not your eyes. It's your tongue. I mean, people are born blind. People are born mute. People are, uh, yeah, born, born mute. Yeah. But even mute people, they have a tongue. Like they, they have a tongue and if they get healed, maybe they can use that tongue. You know, the tongue is a very central part of your body. And so it's a very, it's kind of a bizarre connection to make. I'll make it for you later that the gift of tongue, 
is a manifestation in which God takes over that piece of body, the piece of your body that's so central to you. Uh, I'm going to talk about, first of all, in the body of Christ, there is a group of believers. It's not particular denomination, but certain denominations teach this. They teach what is called cessationism. Everybody says cessationism. Okay. It simply comes from the English word cessation. Cessation. Anyway, it means to have ceased. Okay. So in cessationism, these Bible teachers teach that after the apostolic age, after the early church, the gifts of the Spirit began to die out. And when the Bible was put together and canonized, when it was finally compiled as one piece, Old and New Testament, that God did away with all the supernatural gifts. And he expects us now to to live and breathe and, and abide by the written word of God. Okay? So this is called cessationism. And there are some good seminaries that actually teach this. And there are some seminaries that don't have an official stance, but many of the professors believe this. And if you ever were to operate in a spiritual gift, they will make you feel a certain way. They will, essentially, they will make you feel so uncomfortable that you would want to stop operating in those spiritual gifts. So let's say you have a Pentecostal background. It was a very natural thing for you to embrace these things. But if you end up going to one of these seminaries, they will make you feel really dumb or they will make you feel really uncomfortable for moving in these spiritual gifts. That's because of the paradigm from where they're coming from. They believe in what's called cessationism. Now, one problem that I have with cessationism is, number one, it ain't biblical. It's not in the Bible. So you have to add extra biblical information to come to that conclusion that the Holy Spirit stopped operating in these supernatural ways. There's not a single Bible verse that you can find where God says, after my Bible, after the Word of God is compiled altogether, the gifts of the Spirit will cease. You will never find that in the Bible because it's just not there. So first of all, because cessationism, when I see it, it's, it's unbiblical and rather it's an interpretation of history. So it's these historians, these theologians that are looking at church history and saying, well, all these things were operating so intensely during Jesus' ministry and operating so intensely during the apostolic ministry, during when the apostles were alive. But then shortly thereafter, it started to kind of fizzle out more and more and more. And later on, it just completely, you don't see it anymore. So we must conclude that God is not interested any longer in doing supernatural acts of power. Those things were only needed before they had the Bible in order to validate the message. But now that we have the Bible, we don't need these supernatural signs to validate the message. So therefore, God has done away with them. Okay, That's the interpretation of history that they are using. That's the presupposition they're coming from to come to the theology that they have. All right, But you will not find a good Bible verse that they stand on to come to that conclusion. Because number one, it ain't in the Bible. You won't find it. If anything, you will find prophecies that seem like it was, it's going to increase toward the latter days. That the outpouring of the Spirit will increase in the latter days. Joel chapter 2, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your 
Old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. On my sons and daughters, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Prophecy. A very in-your-face spiritual gift. And Joel says, the prophet Joel says, that in those latter days, God's going to pour out his spirit more and more. And on the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter stood up and he quoted that verse. Meaning that on the day of Pentecost, this verse was fulfilled. But I don't think that it was fulfilled once for all on the day of Pentecost. Rather, I believe that it began becoming fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And Joel chapter 2 is still being fulfilled today. Now, the problem also is in cessationism, not only do they have this very uh, strong interpretation of early church history, but they also dismiss recent church history where Christians have clearly experienced the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. Okay, so let me point out a few. Azusa Street. Azusa Street in California. Okay? There are some blue-collared, mostly minorities, a lot of African Americans. They got together, and they believe that the baptism of the Spirit is for today, and that on evidence of that is the speaking of tongues. And so they got together and had these prayer meetings. And one day in California on this rundown street called Azusa Street, uh, 1907, I believe, 1906 or 7, there was a mighty outpouring on Azusa Street. And all of these fairly low-income, blue-collar type people, they all got filled with the Spirit and they started speaking in tongues. And out of that prayer meeting came the entire biggest denomination today, the Pentecostal denomination. So out of that little blue-colored experience, you have today the largest denomination in the world. Assemblies of God, Sumbum uh, Gyoe, you know, these are all, you know, they're, uh, Hillsong. Do you know that Hillsong is a Pentecostal church? Did you know that? So anyway, the Pentecostal denomination came out of that, right? But not only did you have it in, in Azusa Street, you had it in Korea. 1907, Pyongyang. All right, these Koreans are gathered together praying. One of the Koreans comes up and confesses and repents their sins publicly, which is, you know, a no-no in Confucian culture. You don't really do that. Because you do that, you're airing out all the dirty laundry of your whole family. You know, you're representing yourself and your family. So you don't confess your sins in public. But they did. Somebody else started crying. They came up, confessed their sin. Everybody started confessing their sin. Next thing you know, the whole room got filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was so powerful that these people in that, in that room started going out onto the streets and doing like a Jesus march. You know, Koreans are all about the demos and the marches. <laughs> so they just did what came naturally for them. They went on the streets and they just started Jesus, yes, sumiduseo, and all this stuff. And out of that came a, the, the Christian movement as you see it today. It all started from 1907, right? A lot of the uh, movements that Campus Crusade was able to reap uh, even the um, Pastor Yonggi Cho was able to reap. That all came from 1907. What happened was, after, during the Korean War, a lot of the pastors and leaders, their spiritual leaders, they all fled to South Korea. So the few that stayed, they all got martyred and killed. And many of them ended up moving to South Korea. And that's why you know, they didn't want to move down very far. They didn't come all the way to Busan. Most of them just went down to Seoul. And that's why you have such a strong Christian movement in Seoul. But it all comes from 1907. The Welsh Revival, around the same time, 1906, 1907, happens in Europe. Okay? Cessationism 
Cessationists have to dismiss this entire portion of history and say that it is illegitimate, it is not valid, it was just an emotional experience that happened to produce a lot of fruit. Now for me, that seems a little bit insensitive. Just because you haven't experienced it for yourself, you want to invalidate the entire thing? Okay. Not only that, you go to 1960s, you have the charismatic movement. In America, what was happening in the 1960s is a person named Dennis and Rita Bennett. They were Episcopalian pastors that started experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. And they started teaching their good Episcopalians about the Holy Spirit. And as they pray for people, people start experiencing the baptism of the Spirit. Very supernatural experiences, manifestations and shakings and fallings like you saw in the video. Right? And then the Episcopal Church uh, denomination, they were like, what do we do with this? So what they decided to do was, uh, this is too controversial. So we're going to send him to some other, we're going to transfer him in the middle of nowhere to some like um, California town where, you know, it was a much smaller congregation. So they kind of send them off over there and they try to like deal with it that way. But when they did that, it just continued to grow. And what happened was, interesting enough, was not only was it happening in the Episcopal Church, it started happening in the Presbyterian Church. Not as much, but it started happening in the Presbyterian Church. It happened among Catholics, Methodists. And so what happened was, around the 60s, you have people within denominations experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit all at once. Like, all of them just started experiencing it. And many of them, the denominations had to deal with it. A lot of them didn't know how to deal with it. So a lot of them took a hard stance and a lot of these people got hurt and they ended up resigning or leaving these denominations. All right, And so that in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you have what's called the neo-charismatic movement. So the charismatic movement, if you want to be like, if you want to be helpfully technical, the Pentecostal movement comes from Azusa Street and during the 1906 outpourings, you know, the charismatic movement was a interdenominational outpouring that God did. It's almost like God's like, look, I'm going to pour out my spirit on the blue-collar people. All the poor people can get the Holy Spirit. And then in the 60s, God's like, oh, by the way, I can also get the white-collar people, all the educated people, all the people with PhDs, and pour out his spirit upon them. But because the denominations took a hard stance, many of them ended up leaving, and they started forming their own churches. Today in America... The top 100 largest churches and fastest growing churches, you look at that list, the majority are neo-charismatic churches. These are independent churches that move in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, So if you're a cessationist, you have a large portion of history, of church history, recent church history, that you have to dismiss. Okay, Not only that, I won't end there. Let's go to the Great Awakening. Great Awakening. George Whitfield. You know, and George Whitfield was a Calvinist, by the way. Powerful, powerful revivalist. George Whitfield spoke and people cry. George Whitfield preached and people shake under the power of God. Physically, they would shake during his meetings and they would come to Jesus by the masses. He, he, um, trained up John Wesley. John Wesley was an Anglican. He wasn't used to all this. But George Whitfield took him under his wing, kind of taught him a few things. And then John Wesley also learned from the Moravians, which were like, uh, anyway, the Moravians, they pray a lot. Okay? And they, 
and they were on a boat one day, and John Wesley thought the whole boat was going to get destroyed, and everybody was panicking, but the Moravians were just calm. Is everything okay, John? I'm going to die! Moravians are like, just chill. Jesus is here. And he was so impressed by how calm they were in that, in that ship that, that uh, he, he kind of came to the Moravians and were like, teach me everything you know. And so he spent like an internship with the Moravians for a while. Anyway, but George Whitfield is the one who taught him how to preach open air. Anyway, John Wesley, George Whitfield, these guys who are the face of the Great Awakening. And later on, Jonathan Edwards, like Princeton grad. He's a, I think he's a, he was the president of Princeton at one point. Uh, the, what Encyclopedia Britannica says was the greatest American scholar that ever lived, Jonathan Edwards. Okay. Real smart guy. But even when Jonathan Edwards, after he got prayed for by George Whitfield, like George Whitfield came from Europe to Jonathan Edwards Church in America, and they were just good kind of Presbyterians. And they were all like very faithful and good. George Whitfield came and prayed for people. They all got wrecked, ah, crying. Jonathan Edwards was like, uh, we're not used to this, but we have to embrace this. This is God. What else can this be? So he started opening up his heart. And as he did that, he started seeing those things in the revival meetings that he led. Anyway, long story short, during the Great Awakening, there were supernatural signs, manifestations, and wonders. Spiritual gifts were in operation. You know, the reason why the Quakers are called the Quakers, do you know, is because the Quakers were like this kind of rogue group of Anabaptists, right? And their doctrine was not the most balanced and sound. Because they were kind of got, they kind of got marginalized. Anyway, but then they had the strong leadership, and so. But anyway, the reason why they were called Quakers is because they quaked during the service. They would have these experiences, and then there was another group called the Shakers. They shake, they shook. That's why they're called the Shakers. You know the Oneida um, utensils that you buy in America. Those are all from the Shakers. Anyway, they they make good utensils. <laughs> Look, long story short. Oh, I need a clock here, man. I'm. I'm Long story short, if you're a cessationist, you have to dismiss so many good portions of recent church history in order to hold to your interpretation of early church history. You think that God did all those things in the beginning and then he stopped and he's never done it again since. And anytime it it looks like somebody claims that God's doing something, you dismiss it. Or you even call it demonic. Okay? I mean... It is a pretty presumptuous thing, I think, without properly investigating it. If you properly investigate it and you still don't like it, all right, then I guess it's not your cup of tea. But maybe, just maybe, you should have in your heart a paradigm of maybe it is God. Because the fastest growing Christian movements in the world are those that are led by spirit-filled charismatic type leaders leaders that are open to the gifts of the spirit all that to say let's look at the three myths of speaking in tongues all right let's look at the three myths of speaking in tongues the first myth first month myth of speaking in tongues is there is one there is only one kind of tongue there's only one kind of the gifts of tongues. That's a myth. Okay? If I had to break it down for you easily, 
I would say the easiest way to think about it is there's four types of tongues. Okay? Let me define it for you real clear. This is real easy. I learned this actually at NYU through a media and religion class. Okay? Remember the first two. Xenolalia and glossa, glass, glossalalia. Okay? Everyone say xenolalia. Glossalalia. Okay, xenolalia is simply the ability to speak in a foreign language that the person has not learned or been exposed to. So, for example, if I pray for, uh, what's your name right here? Holland. If I pray for Holland today and he starts speaking in uh, Hebrew, okay, and you haven't learned Hebrew, right? Holland has not learned Hebrew. He starts speaking Hebrew, and let's say in the back, this gentleman over here, what's your name? Peter, if Peter understands Hebrew, and he's like, whoa, is Holland speaking in Hebrew? I didn't know he took Hebrew lessons. And you go up to Holland and say, Holland, you were speaking in Hebrew during the service. And Holland's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right? That will be an example of the phenomena of xenolalia. That's when you have an ability to speak in a foreign language, a known, a known foreign language on this earth that you did not learn or you were not exposed to. Glossolalia. Is the ability to speak in an unknown language. So we don't know if it's either we don't know enough. And maybe it is like some weird dialect out of South America. I don't know, you know. But we don't know enough to whether to know it is a dialect in South America. We, we just know it's an unknown language. Or it could be the utterance, uh, the fluid utterance of speech-like syllables. That's xenolalia. I mean, glossolalia, I'm sorry. So, xenolalia is a known language. Glossolalia is an unknown language. Paul said, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong. Right? And so, Paul's like saying, in passing, he's saying, you could potentially speak in the tongues of angels. Like a language that only angels speak. You may speak in that language, but you got to have love. That's what he's saying, right? But that he says in passing that there are unknown languages. I mean, how many languages do you think there are in existence in the world? Anyone a linguist? Okay. I talk to linguists, and they're the most fascinating people. Study, the study of language is actually really fascinating. And when I really look at it, it all points back to God, right? I mean, have you ever, I've traveled on many mission trips. One of the first languages I learned was Spanish. I learned that in, in middle school. All right? Yo hablo español un poquito. Me gusta la, la comida en mi casa. Te quiero Taco Bell, right? <clears throat> I learned Spanish pretty easy because it's very similar to English. I learned Korean, uh, very different alphabet, different sounds. Korean, sound, Korean language does not have an F sound. So most native Koreans who don't learn from a native English speaker, they don't know how to pronounce the letter F. So that's why they say, Whiting! Whiting! What is whiting? It's, it's fighting, right? But they can't say it. So it's become so ingrained in their culture. Now everyone knows. If you say fighting, they'd be like, huh? Whiting! Ah, oh, yeah. We can do it, you know? I don't, that's, that's how they use it, right? Uh, Korean language doesn't have an F sound. They don't have certain sounds we do have in, in English. And then I discovered tonal languages. And it freaked me out. I did not know there was such a thing 
as tone in language. So when I first learned Thai, there were like eight or nine tones in Thai. And I could not distinguish between the nine sounds. It drove me crazy. They were like, ma, 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 ma. Repeat after us. I was like, oh, no, everything sounds the same to me. All right. And then I learned Chinese a little bit. I took Chinese lessons. And they only have, in Mandarin, there's only five tones. I was like, oh, that sounds a little better. But even with five tones, I couldn't, I couldn't distinguish. And then in Cantonese, you got more. You know, I remember when I was uh, growing up in, in Philly, when black people used to make fun of me, they would be like, Ching chong, 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 go back to China. And I'd be like, hey, shut up, all right? Nobody talks like that. All right, you're, you're, it's a gross mis, mis, uh, this is a gross caricature that you're painting. No one talks like that. All right, and then I, I, I made friends with my Vietnamese friends, and I went over their homes, and it sounded exactly like what I heard. I've never exposed, I was never exposed to Chinese or Vietnamese friends up until that point, but when I went over their house, I was like, wait a minute, that sounds like what the black people were saying. And so, you know, black people, they, gr- they love kung fu, you know, so they grew up listening and re- watching a lot of kung fu movies. So they're just imitating that. But it sounds like, like, like that because there's tones in their language. Now, where am I going with this? Yes. Xenolalia and glossolalia, okay? So xenolalia is a known language. Glossolalia is an unknown language. Now, under these two, there's, there's two more categories. So it becomes four, Okay. So under Xenolalia, a, a known foreign language in the world, like Spanish, Hebrew, whatever, right? When you get that ability to speak that language without learning it, that's supernatural. But there's two forms of this manifestation. One is when you talk to men. And one is when you talk to God. Okay? So under Xenolalia, you can either talk to men in Hebrew or you can talk to God in Hebrew. You can talk to men in Chinese or in Cantonese. You never learned it. Or you can talk to God in Cantonese. Now, when we talk to men, we call that prophecy. When you get a supernatural utterance from God, you get a supernatural message from God to speak over somebody, that's prophecy. But when you talk to God, that's called prayer. Okay? Everyone got that? So under a known language, xenolalia, you can either talk to men, that's prophecy, or talk to God, that's prayer. Now stay with me. Under glossolalia, an unknown language, maybe it is a language from South America, we don't know. You know, sometimes we look at Anna Rowe and you're like, it sounds like Anna is speaking like Portuguese or Spanish or something. Maybe she's speaking a dialect that, you know, maybe, maybe it is. Or maybe it's just uh, a fluid utterances of syllables that sound like a language but may not be a language. Or maybe it's an angelic language that we don't know about. Anyway, glossolalia simply means it's an unknown language. Okay? Now, under glossolalia, you have the same categories. You can either glossolalia, shongara to a man, that's prophecy, or to God, that's prayer. So everybody got that, right? There's four types of tongues. The myth, the myth is there's only one type. The truth is there's actually four. Now, when you are talking to men in the gift of tongues, let's say it's a known language, xenolalia, or it could be an unknown language. When you talk and you don't understand it, the Bible tells you, take a seat. 
unless there's somebody to interpret. Why? Because if in the middle of service, Trevor here gets up and says, I have a message from the Lord. I feel the Spirit of God upon me right now. And he starts speaking some like strange language we'd never heard before. Strange tongue we never heard. And Trevor says, this is a message from the Lord for all of you. Praise Jesus. And he sits down. Okay? If he did that during praise, during the prayer time, during my preaching, that would be very disturbing. It would disturb things. And especially if nobody's there to interpret it. And he does this twice every Sunday. We're like, oh, there's Trevor again. Can't wait till he finishes up. I don't know what he's saying. Oh, one day we do, right? And so what Paul says is, because that was what's happening in the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth, they were very immature in their, uh, in their character. And so they loved supernatural signs and wonders. And what was happening was people were getting up and saying, like, I have a word from the Lord for this church. And they would say it in tongues, and then they would sit down all like, yeah, I'm a spiritual, supernatural Christian. But it was just disturbing things. So Paul said, look, if you don't have anyone to interpret, then please sit down. Just keep it to yourself. If there are people to interpret, then go one at a time. Because apparently, I guess in Church of Corinth, they were trying to do it over each other. So Trevor's getting up, like, and AJ is like, shukalukalaka. You know, and they're just exchanging these messages at once. It was chaos. So Paul's like, hey, one at a time. And make sure there's an interpreter. Okay. So what Paul is addressing there is this disturbing phenomenon of people trying to prophesy over the church, giving a message to the church. But he's like, look, if no one can interpret it, you're not edifying anybody. You're just disturbing. So in that case, just sit down. There's nobody to interpret. Keep it to yourself. Talk to God about it. Okay? Now, what I don't think Paul is trying to do is forbid tongues altogether. Because that's why a lot of people who have what I call not cessationism, but I would define it as cautionism. They are open to the gifts of the Spirit, but it's like they're charismatic with a seatbelt, driver's side and passenger side airbags and like i don't know like you know they, they have a seatbelt they have a very you know they're they say i'm a charismatic with a seatbelt right i call them cautionists cautionists they're open to it but when it happens they, they're like whoa 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 let's just make sure this is from god so there's like very little freedom usually under those types of churches and uh some of the cautionists will say, we're open to the gift of tongues. Hey, don't get, don't get us wrong. We think it's God. But 1 Corinthians 14 says, have them sit down. Do not allow them to use tongues during a service. So during our church services, we don't allow anyone to speak in tongues. During the, during the praise time, during the prayer time, it's not allowed because the Bible forbids it. Okay? And that is a misinterpretation, I believe, of 1 Corinthians 14. Because Paul is addressing... The disturbing phenomena of prophecy, tongues prophecy, not tongues prayer. Why? Because when you do tongues prayer, who do you talk to? You're talking to God. So you don't care if your neighbor overhears it. You don't, you don't actually even say it loud enough for your neighbor to overhear it. Unless you're like really, really fiery. Right? You don't want your neighbor to, if your neighbor overhears it and says, Hey, I didn't understand that, so you should shut up. You tell your neighbor, 
I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to God. This is called prayer. Stop eavesdropping on my prayer to God, right? Why would anyone forbid that, right? Why would anyone forbid that? So Paul's not talking about like using these kinds of rules for the phenomena of tongues prayer. He's talking about tongues prophecy. And when you don't distinguish, when you believe there's only one type of tongues, you just want to dismiss it altogether. Now, the irony is at the end of 1 Corinthians 14, all right, I want you to turn there for a moment because we want to look at it anyway. Turn to 1 Corinthians 14. First Corinthians chapter 14. I summarized pretty much the whole chapter there for you. Okay, so look at verse 2. One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to who? To God. Okay, what do we call that? Prayer. Okay, so when you speak in a tongue to God, that's prayer and so a lot of people call it the prayer language no one understands them but he utters mysteries in the spirit praying in the spirit speaking in the spirit you're uttering mysteries in the spirit now look at the end of the chapter verse 39 1 corinthians 14 verse 39 right he says do everything in an orderly manner especially tongues prophecy that's real disturbing if you're trying to give a message to everybody, but you, you know no one's really giving you that platform, but you're just taking it. It's very disturbing. Do it in an orderly manner. But then look at verse 39. So, my brothers, eagerly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Well, Paul, you forbid speaking in tongues earlier in the chapter. Seems like a seeming contradiction. Okay, No, it's not because in Paul's mind, there's this clear distinction. Tongues for prophecy, tongues for prayer. When tongues for the gift of tongues is accompanied by the gift of interpretation of tongues, you have the equivalent of prophecy. But when you're just using the gift of tongues to talk to God, this is called prayer. So Paul says, do not forbid speaking in tongues at the end of the chapter. He's like, I'm making it real clear. Don't forbid this stuff. But for the particular kind of tongues that's toward prophecy, you got to do it in an orderly manner. Okay? Everyone, is that real clear to your minds now? Because that that will get ripped up by uh, cautionists all the time. And they, they would be like, well, we have the sound, balanced interpretation. And you know what? I, I don't agree. I think it's like the worst hermeneutic. Like I, They have the strangest and worst interpretation methods to try to come to their conclusion. All right? I mean, they need they need to kind of... They need to kind of read what's really there. All right. So there are four types of tongues. Second myth of tongues. Tongues is always compulsive. This is a myth. Tongues is a compulsive phenomenon. No one can control it. When it happens, it just bubbles up and it just happens. So uh, if that didn't happen to you, you don't have tongues. Or it happened to you that one time, it didn't happen to you again. You just got to wait until it happens again. Because tongues is compulsive. This is a myth. This is a misunderstanding. Let me tell you what tongues is. Tongues is not a compulsive phenomenon only. Tongues is a gift 
that needs to be exercised by faith. That's why it's listed as one of the nine spiritual gifts of the Spirit. Nine supernatural gifts of the Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, there's nine of them listed. One of them is the gift of tongues. Okay? Tongues is not only compulsive. Tongues is a gift that must be exercised. So, for example, the gift of teaching. Is the gift of teaching compulsive? I mean, does somebody come into a room and says, Oh, I can't help but teach. I got to teach. It's coming up. My gift of teaching wants to come out. And they, they compulsively teach? No. They have to use their will. They can refrain from it or they can do it, right? Uh, the gift of healing. Oh, I can't help but heal. Oh, oh got to touch you. You're sick. Oh, got to touch you. Like, does the gift just like compulsively come? No, they have to exercise their will. Can I pray for you? And you get their permission and you pray. It's a, you have to use your faith. You have to exercise your faith to exercise the gift. Uh, gift of prophecy as well. You know? Sometimes in the Bible, it has instances where prophecy comes forth compulsively, ecstatically. That does happen. There's a few instances in the Bible that describes that. But that's the exception, not the norm. The Bible says the gift of prophets are subject to prophets. So if somebody says, oh, I got a word from the Lord and I can't help, I can't hold it in. I need to speak it out. Give me that mic. Ah, the Lord says in this place that seaside, you will start prophesying. All right. No. Gift of prophecy is not compulsive. It is also a gift that needs to be exercised by faith. Okay. So I want you to put tongues in the category with all the other gifts that you think about. Or uh, Pastor Robert Morris gives this example. If you have the gift of giving, you know, as you're walking by the offering plate, you know, dollar bills don't just start popping out of your pocket. Oh, must, I must have the gift of giving, you know. It's not compulsive, right? You got to take it out and say, oh, Lord, I don't know if this is you, but oh, man, I just feel it. So, you know, you got to use your, your, your will and you got to exercise it by faith. Tongues is the same way. Uh, another myth. When you speak, uh, when you speak in tongues, you speak it fluently the first time. This is a myth. Okay. Actually, for a lot of people, the first time they get tongues, it sounds really funny. It sounds really ridiculous. I mean, I've seen people, and they literally like their tongue comes out of their mouth and they're like. And it's like, whoa, that's nasty. <laughs> that's kind of disgusting. <laughs> and some people get tongues like that. And it's like, what? The? It's, it looks so weird. My tongues didn't look like that when I first got it. But you know, different people get it different ways. But it's a myth that the first time you start speaking it, it starts to flow. It's a myth. It's not like that. It's like learning any other language. When you first learn, when I first learned Greek earlier this year, I could not speak it fluently the first time I had to read through it. I learned the syllables. I was reading it. I couldn't read it fluently. But throughout the semester, I got better and better and better. <laughs> or even Korean, right? For all the foreigners that learned Korean recently. In the beginning, you know, 안녕하세요, you know, or whatever. Like you couldn't, you couldn't say it fluently. But the more you tried it, it became it came fluid. It started to flow. Same thing with the gift of tongues. And I, and I don't think that because you don't do it right at the beginning, 
Some people go, wow, it doesn't feel right, and I feel stupid, and I sound stupid, so I'm not going to use it anymore. You know, I think God thinks I'm, I'm, I'm jacking it up, so I don't want to ever do that. But if you think about it like this, if you have a baby, and you start teaching your baby how to talk, and your baby's mispronouncing, you know, it's fighting, fighting, son, fighting, fighting. You know, the, the baby can't say the letter F, or they can't pronounce certain things, and they have a lisp or something like that. Which one of you, as a mother or father, will say, You stupid baby, why can't you pronounce it? Shut up until you get it right. How many of you will do that? None of you will do that. You look upon your baby. Oh, that is so cute. Look at my baby. Uh, baby can't say the letter F. <laughs> well, in the same way, when God looks down on his children speaking in tongues, and it sounds all messy and it looks, uh, it looks nasty... <laughs> God looks down and says, oh, that's my baby right there. Isn't that so cute? Isn't that, they're just learning how to speak in tongues. You know what I mean? It's a myth that you get it fluent the first time around. All right, it needs to be exercised and it grows. It develops just like any other language. Now, let me talk about, turn to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to show you real quick some examples in which people initially receive tongues. There's actually various ways in which you can initially receive tongues. So if you go to Acts chapter 2, you guys know the story of the day of Pentecost. Now, I've met a lot of people in New Philly. Some people get it the first way. Some people get it the second way. So I'm going to talk about the first way, right? The first way of getting tongues is you get it Suddenly and compulsively. Okay, so Acts chapter 2. Look at this. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That Greek word there is glossa, okay, which means language. But in particular, that Greek word glossa uh, is especially talking about a language that one has not naturally acquired. Uh, here, they get it suddenly and compulsively. One moment they're praying, next moment, everyone's sucka loka loka and they're all speaking in tongues. Okay? Let's go to chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Look at verse 44 and 46. While Peter was still saying these things, Peter is in the middle of a sermon. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, these are the Jews, the Jewish believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Isn't that interesting? In the middle of Peter's sermon, these Gentiles start speaking in tongues. And the Jewish believers are like, whoa, this is crazy. We thought only Jews were supposed to believe in Jesus. But these Gentiles are calling on Jesus' name and they're being filled with the Spirit. They're getting the same thing we did. What's going to keep them from being water baptized? And they got water baptized. Okay, Go to Acts chapter 19. I'll give you one more example where the experience is compulsive and sudden. Look at 19 verse 6. This is in Ephesus. When Paul 
These are some believers that came to believe in Jesus, but they had not received the filling of the Spirit yet. It says, verse 6, When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Once again, you have a sudden and compulsive. Three examples in the book of Acts. Okay? So some people, when they get tongues, it's sudden and compulsive. Now, I think there was somebody at the retreat from the seaside campus. You got it, and you weren't expecting it. Is that true? You weren't really expecting You weren't like, Lord, give me tongue, give me tongue, give me tongue, give me tongue. I got tongues. You were just praying? Yeah, just praying, and then you got it. Like, I know friends who got it like that. Awesome. Amazing. Usually, they just feel so good. They're like, yeah. And they're just speaking in tongues. Okay. Let's go to the second way you can initially get the, the gift of tongues. Uh, look at Acts chapter 8, verse 17. Acts chapter 8, verse 17. This is the Samaritan believers. Then they laid their hands on these Samaritan believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. That's it. The Bible says they received the Holy Spirit. That means it happened. And there were some kind of visible sign because Simon the magician wanted to buy this gift. He wants to say, uh, he was like, I want to buy this ability you guys have. Because he was all into occultic arts. So he saw supernatural things already and he wanted this power. Um, and then the apostles rebuked him for, doing, for trying to buy it. But it doesn't say they spoke in tongues. Now all, all the other three instances we just looked at, the Bible made it a clear note. They spoke in tongues or they prophesied. But here, they get filled with the Spirit, no indication that they got, they got tongues. Maybe they did or they didn't, but there's no indication that they did. Okay? Let's look at another one. Acts chapter 9. Look, look a chapter later. Real interesting. Verse 17 to 19. This is the uh, Apostle Paul right before his conversion as he's persecuting Christians. Look what happens at his experience. Verse 17 and 19 of chapter 9. So Ananias departed and entered the house. By this time, Saul had seen Jesus on the road to Damascus. He got blinded, and he's very inca incapacitated at this time. Ananias laid his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his, height, his sight, and then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened that's it there's no indication that he laid his hands on him scales fell off his eyes and all of a sudden he started speaking in tongues and extolling god doesn't say that but what's interesting is this guy is the one who ends up writing first corinthians later and you know what he says in first corinthians he says i speak in tongues more than all of you he says, i do it all the time I want all of you to speak in tongues. And that's not really the Apostle Paul's personal preference. That's the Holy Spirit inspiring that word through him. So you got to understand, on the heart of God, God wants you to speak in tongues. He wants all of us to have this gift. It's not just for people who grew up Pentecostal or people who grew up in a charismatic movement. God wants all of his people to have these spiritual gifts. These are gifts given for a reason. But when the Apostle Paul initially got it here in verse 9, Chapter 9, it doesn't say anything about him getting, getting tongues. 
when he got when he got prayed for. Okay, what, what's my point? My point is the first way you can get tongues is suddenly and compulsively. The second way you can get tongues is simply through teaching and stepping out in faith. Because there's nowhere in the Bible that says the Apostle Paul later on got prayer from somebody else and started speaking in tongues. No, the Apostle Paul, he picked it up through teaching, through testimonies, and then he realized, I need to step out in faith and start exercising this gift just like all these other people have. Okay? But regardless of whether you get it suddenly or whether you get it through teaching and you exercise your faith, after you initially get it, everybody has to exercise it by faith. Everybody say amen to that. Do you understand my point there? There are some people that I meet, and they get it compulsively, and it's amazing. And they're like, oh, it's the most ecstatic feeling in the world. La, 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 la. I was doing that for two hours, and I couldn't stop. It was awesome. Christ a Christian. I'm like, all right, great. That's great. So when's the last time you uh, spoke in tongues? That was it at the retreat two years ago. And ever since then, it's never happened to me like that again. So I've never spoken in tongues ever since. And I'm like, well, you got it. Why don't you exercise it? Well, I thought it's supposed to come only compulsively. So I've been waiting for that moment again. Can you pray for me? Maybe it'll happen again now. And I'm like, no, no. Whether you got it compulsively or whether you got it through teaching, everybody afterwards has to exercise it by faith. You want to tell you my story? I'll tell you my story real quick. This is how I got tongues, okay? Uh, I was doing campus ministry at Columbia University. And there was a uh, group of three uh, Caucasian ladies, three white girls, okay. They came and they sang these songs, and it was, it was, it was anointed. It was powerful. I was really blessed. And uh, a, a speaker, Pastor Whitehead from um, Morningstar Church. No, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. That was his name. He spoke, and in his testimony, he spoke about the gift of tongues. Like he was talking about the phenomena. And he was like, yeah, like one of our church members was at an airport praying in tongues. And some dude came up to him and says, excuse me, how did you learn that language? My, my people group are like, we only, there's only like 400 people remaining in my people group. And you are speaking our language. You know, it's like this crazy phenomena. So at the end of his message, I asked a question about tongues. And then the singing group, one of the girls in the singing group, she's like, hey, I noticed that um, you asked a question about tongues. And I was like, yeah. And at that time... Uh, I was, God was opening up my heart to the Holy Spirit, to the charismatic movement. But one thing that I really disliked was tongues. The reason being is because a few years before that, I went on a missions trip to Kazakhstan. And on that team, everybody was a good Presbyterian except one girl. She was from the, uh, uh, she was from the, uh, full gospel church. And whenever we would pray, she would pray at the top of her lungs and tongues that I could not think. It was just so loud, like, la, 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 la. I was like, ah, Lord, bless Kazakhstan. Ah. It was so annoying. Everybody was so annoyed by her that I was, like, turned off. I was like, man, if that's, God, you want to give me that, please hold off because I don't like that. I don't, I don't want to sound like her. So it was a turnoff. <clears throat> so in my heart, I was open to give the prophecy, gifts of healing. I'm, I'm looking for that stuff. I'm asking God for that. But gifts of tongues, I was like, oh, Lord, you, you, you can hold on to that. Okay, so this girl comes up to me and she goes, hey, I noticed you asked a question on tongues. I'm like, yeah, do you want to receive tongues? And I was like, "Uh, maybe. (laughs) 
she's like, well, you know, just like when you receive Christ, you just uh, follow the prayer and you receive, the, you receive Jesus by faith. Well, you can receive the gift of tongues by faith right now. I'll just lead you in a prayer. All right? And I'm like, uh, okay, that's great. And I was like, thank you for sharing that. I'm going to go now. But she was like, just repeat after me. And she, she bowed her head. <clears throat> put my hand. I think she put my, her hand on my shoulder and she bowed her head. And I was like, uh, uh, okay. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, thank you, Jesus. I opened my heart. Uh, I opened my heart. Uh, I desire to give the tongues. Uh, I desire to give the tongues. And so I'm just repeating this prayer after her. And then she says, amen. And I say, amen. And I open my mouth. I'm expecting it to come out compulsively because that's what I believed back then. <laughs> and she was like, come on, start speaking in tongues. And I'm like, uh, uh, uh. And she was like, come on, come on, just let it flow. Let it, it's like a faucet, just turn that water on. So she was so persistent, relentless. I just kind of wanted to get her off my back, right? Because I wasn't gonna, she wasn't gonna leave until I like did something. So I was just like, uh, la 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 la. Oh yeah, hallelujah! I'll say it right there. And I'm like, oh okay, la 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 la. And I just made la 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 sounds, right? And she's like, that's it, you got it. Come on, let that faucet run. La 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 la. And I was so embarrassed because my Columbia students, you know, you know, it's Ivy League school, right? I'm doing campus ministry to my Columbia students and they're all watching like <laughs> what's Pastor, what's Christian Gunson him doing right and so I'm like so self-conscious but at the same time I want to I'm like I can't escape her unless I, I like follow her directions anyway that's how I got activated in the gift of tongues it was not a compulsive or sudden experience it was completely her teaching me a little bit and then her like pushing me out into the water okay I went home, and for that whole rest of the month, I, I only time I spoke in tongues was when I was alone in my car with my stereo blasting praise music, and nobody else can hear me. I would just go. I just start. I would just try to like repeat the sounds that I remember from that night, and it would flow. It would flow, but then I was like, ah, that's just me making stuff up. Okay, so I just like completely smothered and doubted the gift. And what happened was my college mentor, Brother Michael, he prophesied over me over lunch, uh, maybe a few months later. And he says, Brother Christian, you're going to go to a church where the gifts are in operation and you're going to fill the Holy Spirit. God's going to baptize you with the Spirit and you're going to speak in tongues. So I'm like, yeah, good, because that last experience was definitely not valid. God, you need to give me a real good one. So... Surely enough, a month or two later, I go to Brooklyn Tabernacle Church, and the preacher that night says, I had a message for y'all tonight. Everyone's like, hallelujah, but I'm not going to preach that message. Holy Spirit said, you're not going to preach that message. Tonight, I'm going to preach on the baptism of the Spirit. So when he said that, I got, I got all the hairs stood up on my back, and I remember the prophecy that my college mentor made over me like a couple months earlier. And so at the end of his message, it was the first time I heard a message on the baptism of the Spirit. He says, come forward if you want to receive. And so I come forward. I run up to the altar. And there's like, like maybe another 800 people. There's like, there's like 4,000 people at this prayer meeting. So it was pretty packed. And I'm there, hands raised with all these other black women. And they're just like, receive, receive. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, la, 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 yeah, la, 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 la. It was so loud I couldn't even hear myself. 
Right? I don't know if I was speaking English or whatever, but something was coming out of my mouth. But it felt the same way as I felt after the, the musical group dealt with me, that lady dealt with me. I felt the same way. I was like, do I have it or not? God, how come it's not that compulsive, crazy experience that I read about? You know? So I was, do I have it or not? So I'm going home in the subway and I'm like, this don't feel right. I don't feel nothing. I don't feel nothing. Am I supposed to feel something? You know? So I smothered the gift again. Six months later, God calls me to come to Korea. I arrive in Korea. The first month I'm in, I'm in Korea, I get reunited with a childhood friend from Philly. A girl named Hannah. She has the gift of prophecy as well. So she gets together and we start praying at a cafe. Koreans are watching us. We're all like holding hands and praying at a, at a cafe. And the first thing she does is, that was her tongue. Her, her tongue was, and then after like 30 seconds of that, she starts prophesying exactly the secrets of my heart. And I'm just like, whoa, how does she know these things? This is exactly what I've experienced with my college mentor. This is the gift of prophecy. And then she would prophesy, and then she would go, and then that would be like, kind of like her kind of like her zone. Like she'd get in that zone, and she'd prophesy, and she'd go back to that zone, and she'd prophesy. When I heard her using her tongues like that, now my old college mentor spoke in tongues, but not that much. I think intentionally he knew it freaked me out a little bit. So he didn't speak in tongues around me on purpose. But later when I visited New York, I mean, he knew that I had tongues by then. So he spoke in tongues so much. I was like, whoa, Brother Michael. He was all about tongues. I didn't know that. But anyway, my friend Hannah, when I heard her speak in tongues, I just kind of got over it at that moment. Now, what happened in between, by the way, was I read two books. One was a book by Jack Deere, Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. And another book was called uh, something... Uh, a journalist wrote it in the 70s, and it was about the gift of tongues phenomena and how it freaks people out and is it real and wh- whatever. I read the whole book, and those two books helped me to get over the block that was in my mind. For a lot of people in the Western world, the block is in your mind. You may even have it, but you will never exercise it because it disturbs your mind. This is so fruitless. I don't understand what I'm saying. Why should I keep doing this? But that's a very Western point of view of the world. What the Bible tells us is, turn to Romans 8. Gift of tongues is actually a very powerful gift. And God gives it to us to bless us. I mean, I went went a long time, didn't I? Romans chapter 8, look at this. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. If the Holy Spirit intercedes, you think he'll intercede outside the will of God? No, the Holy Spirit, the only thing he knows to do is to intercede within the will of God. 
Sometimes you don't know the will of God for your life. So you might be like, Lord, move upon her heart. She's so cute. I like her so much. Move upon her heart so that she'll marry me, Lord. My gal is the one. I've looked all through Vietnam and there's no one else like my gal. Lord, move upon her heart. And the, and the Lord is looking down like, my gal ain't it. You're supposed to marry Rosie. <laughs> you know, like, sometimes we don't know what to pray for. We don't know what the will of God is. But the cool thing is, if you use the gift of tongues, God will speak forth the will of God and pray the will of God for you, through you, without you even knowing it. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who is doing it. That's why it's an act of faith. You don't even know what you're praying, but you believe the Holy Spirit is interceding for you, the very will of God for your life. So even though you want my gal, you're praying, Lord, bring Rosie, prepare Rosie, prepare Rosie. It might sound like Rosie, prepare, 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 prepare. I don't know, like God is praying his will through you. And that's a powerful thing. Most Christians, the only kind of prayer that they know is praying with their own understanding. But if you think about it, that's a very soulish way to pray. God, I know what's best for my life, so let me just pray with my own understanding and my own understanding only. That's a soulish way to pray. But the Bible tells us, don't pray in the soul, pray in the spirit. Jude chapter 20 says, Jude verse 20 says, pray in the spirit, building up, building yourself up in the most holy faith. Um, you don't want to pray soulish. You want to pray spirit-filled, spiritual prayers. And when you pray in tongues, you're not praying with just your own understanding. The Bible says here, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit. When you pray in tongues, you're not praying with your own understanding. You're praying with the understanding of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit knows what is the mind of God. So it's a very powerful supernatural thing that happens when you pray in tongues. It's a, it's a very spiritual thing. Let me close with this. In James chapter 3, it says that the tongue is like a rudder. You can have a huge ship, but a tiny rudder is what directs the direction of that ship. And in the same way, the tongue is like, it's a small part of your body, but it directs it has such a big say in what, what, what you do with your body. Um, let me go there because I'm kind of butchering it. James chapter 3. And I, look, I'll close with this. I promise I'll close with this. James chapter 3. Verse 2. I'll read from there. James 3 verse 2. It's toward the end of the New Testament. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pirate pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. What am I trying to say? What's my point? Your tongue... It's a small, tiny piece of your body. But it is such a powerful symbol of your life. 
Whoever controls your tongue controls your life. And so on the day of Pentecost, what's really fascinating is one of the first things that God controls when he pours out his spirit is he controls the tongues of the believers. Isn't that cool? Pretty much God is saying, grabs your tongue and says, I'm in charge. You see this little thing here? This has been causing you so much trouble. From now on, I want you to submit your tongue to me. I'm going to symbolize that by making your tongue go crazy and speaking in tongues that you never, you never even learned. It's a symbol of God saying, I want to be in control now. Do you want to be led by you? Because when you talk and you control your tongue, it's just out of the overflow of your heart. And when your heart is filled with all kinds of bitterness, all kinds of anger, that's what comes out. But if you will be led by the Holy Spirit, will you be led by me? You let me be in charge. Now we're talking about life. Life abundant. So what happens is when you exercise the gift of tongues, every time you do it, it's not about just the charismatic experience of God. It's primarily an act of surrender to Him. God, take the central part of my life, the central part of my physical body. Be the pilot that directs where I go. Be in control of my life because whenever I set the direction, I get lost and confused. But Lord, I want you to be in charge. So every time you come before God and you speak in tongues, you're saying, God, you're in charge. I want you to continue to be in charge. And I don't even know what I'm praying, but Lord, Holy Spirit, pray and intercede through me. Your perfect will for my life. Let's close our eyes right now. I pray for a few people right here. Pray for a few people right now. Like I said, some people get it compulsively. Some people, you just have to step out in faith. But whether you got it compulsively or not, everybody, once they've gotten it, you got to step out and exercise it by faith. You know, uh, Pastor Robert Morris from Gateway Church in Texas, he shared a funny testimony. He said that when he got baptized with the Spirit, when somebody prayed for him to get the baptism of the Spirit, he didn't speak in tongues. He prophesied, but he didn't speak in tongues. But his wife did right away. And months later, or a little bit later, his wife, in the morning, saw him and she was laughing at him. So Pastor Robert Morris was like, why are you laughing? What's so funny? And she was like laughing because she was like, last night, while you were sleeping, you were doing it. And he's like, what are you talking about? Well, doing what? You were speaking in tongues in your sleep. And he's like, What? No, I didn't. And she's like, no, I heard you. I heard you. I, I kind of woke up in the middle of the night to go read my Bible. And I heard you in the other room. You were speaking in tongues. You were still sleeping. And so Pastor Robert Morris goes to his mentor and says, what do you think about this phenomenon? You know, like, like, does this happen to other people? They, do they speak in tongues while they're sleeping? And then his mentor said, yeah, that happens to a lot of hard-headed people. <laughs> Holy Spirit was so eager to have Pastor Robert Morris exercise his amazing gift. But Pastor Robert Morris refused to get his mind out of the way. That Holy Spirit waited till he went to sleep in order for him to manifest that gift. And so when he talked to his mentor, Pastor Robert Morris says, well, okay, well, since that time, 
I, the, what, what, you know, he, he told him, go, go where you're alone. No one else can hear you. And I want you to just exercise the gift. You know, just between you and God. Talk to God. Prayer language. Just talk to God. Exercise the gift. And Pastor Mars did that for a while. And he came back to the mentor and says, I've been doing that, but I don't feel anything. And so the mentor says, well, the gift of tongues is a lot like other things in your Christian life. You don't always feel something when you praise God. You don't always feel something when you pray. You don't always feel something when you do a quiet time. But you've got to exercise it by faith. And after he got that word, Pastor Robert Morris went out and he started exercising that gift more and more and more. And one day, he was walking, I think, by a lake or something. And he just felt the power of God just come upon him as he was just exercising tongues. And so you don't always feel something all the time. But man, when, it, when that comes, it's, it feels so good. Anyway, I want you to close your eyes. And I want to invite up people who have never experienced the initial gift of tongues. You've never gotten tongues. But you want to step out today. And you want, to, you want to pray for a man of God to lay hands on you and activate that gift. Sometimes you need like a gifted minister to lay hands and activate the gift to get it going. If you want that and that's you, I want you to come to the front left.